It's Murder Slam. Yes, and I'm back. She came back. I didn't, yeah. We didn't scare her off. Yes. Oh, here. who is this? It's this Emily. Is Emily. <laughs> it's it's Anna. And you're listening to Meta's Night Out. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, she came back. Yes. And she just cut me off. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> you are cut off. You know, like pitch perfect. Yes. You know, yeah. No. I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're looking at me crazy. Because you cut me off. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, Is it? No. <sighs> Fucked up. She's not coming back again, guys. I pissed her off. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about me. One thing about me is I'm going to do what I want to do. Respect my authority. (laughs) I do what I want. I do what I want. (laughs) Anyway. So we're back. Fuck. Sorry. (laughs) I'll shut up. (laughs) I just had butted the mic. (laughs) Um, All I was just going to say was that I'll try not to um, interrupt you with songs this time. <laughs> I'll try not to anyway. Sorry, go ahead. It's late again, guys. So who knows what's gonna happen? You know, hashtag mom life. Hashtag I'm trying. Hashtag vibing and surviving. Vibing and surviving, and I'm over here <laughs> moonshining and true crime. And <laughs> well, with that being said, we are gonna dive right into part two of this horrific case that we get through. With humor. Yeah, because I have lots of questions. So, we last left off. Sheila had walked into the horrific discovery. Several neighbors were interviewed. Some had some questionable interviews. Whatever. Um... Then Justin, the three boys were interviewed by police. Rick and Greg didn't really have anything to recall because they slept through the entire incident. Uh, Justin, Marty, and Marilyn's son um, had been interviewed and had been put under hypnosis. And he, you know, first dreamt about it and then he witnessed it and went through this whole story. Composite sketches were done. And that brings us to now. I do want to say that. During this time, so Sheila and her brothers were taken to her uncle's home uh, where they were taken care of until the funeral arrangements were made. Their father, the abusive piece of shit stain underwear, was present. Hashtag monster. Yes. Was present for the funeral um, that was held for, you know, her mother and Johnny. But apparently he had no interest in being a parent to his surviving kids which isn't I mean, a bad thing considering I was gonna say, I mean yes you know. so it, it's not a bad thing and eventually they were placed in foster care so these poor kids especially Sheila with the abuse she endured and then this and then having to be placed in foster care with that many kids, were they separated? Mm, 
doesn't say. I know it they, does say that they were separated frequently uh, in her book. I had to look it up. Yeah. Um. It does say that they were separated frequently. So, yeah. So, during all this, you know, the sheriffs are investigating to the best of their ability. Rumors about the murders being drug-related, cult-related, quickly circulated among the community. Sheila goes to say that her mother's reputation and, you know, just horrible rumors about why this happened were circulating, like I said, drug-related, cult-related, but this was dismissed by the investigators. They even went as far as to rule out um, notorious serial killers like Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole that were known to be working at that time. They had ruled, even ruled them out by December of 1983. So over the next three years, they were investigating this. Con- detectives continued to work the case with very, very little, really hardly anything to go on. And keep in mind, they were still searching for Tina. No leads, nothing. Tina is missing. Yeah. That, of course, all changed on April the 22nd, 1984, a little over three years after the anniversary. So a a cranium was found by a bottle collector at Camp 18 at Feather Falls, which is located in the neighboring county of Butte, which is over 100 miles away from Ketty. Several months later, an anonymous caller contacted the Butte County Sheriff's Office and said the remains belonged to Tina Sharp. Another search of the area was undertaken, and police searchers found part of a mandible and several other bones. Forensic testing later confirmed that the skull and bone fragments were those of Tina Sharp. So, a hundred miles away. That's what I was wondering. Okay. So, three years later, her bones were found over 100 miles away from where this all happened. Along with those bone fragments and remains, numerous items of clothing were found, including a blue nylon jacket, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans with a missing back pocket, a blanket and an and ugh, a blanket and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Now Police held the original recording of the anonymous call and a copy was made and distributed. However, both copies would later mysteriously disappear from the police records. Now, with this discovery, and at a later date, Marilyn Smart, the lady I mentioned earlier, was questioned again by DOJ investigators and now she had some new information to give them regarding the case. What? Yeah. After three years? I, I couldn't really find a date on when this interview took place. Okay. I just know that it was at a later date and I believe after Tina Sharp's remains were found. Wow. So she said that she had left her husband Marty the day after the murders because of his abusive and violent behavior towards her. She said Marty drove to Reno 
two weeks after being interviewed by police on April the 27th, 1981. He wrote a letter to his, to Marilyn. In it, he told her, quote, I've paid the price of your love. And now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me we're through. Great. What else do you want? End quote. She strongly believed that her husband was involved in the murders and then recounted a different version of events during the evening of April the 11th. She said they did go to the bar for drinks and then went back to the cabin where she watched TV. However, she remembered Marty and Bo had changed their clothes and put on matching three-piece suits and sunglasses returning to the bar without her. Um, when they came home in the early morning hours, she recalled that they were acting weird and she saw them burning something in the stove outside the cabin. She told them Marty had a particular hatred for John Sharp and despised Glenna or Sue for her continued interference in their relationship. Apparently it was whispered around Ketty before and after the murders that Glenna and Marty had been involved in an affair, which ended when Marilyn found out. She said she turned the letter over to investigators, the one she received from Marty, and would later claim she handed them a bloody jacket, which she had found in her basement, which she strongly believed belonged to Tina Sharp. However, there are no police records that exist to support yeah. this. So now we're moving into the 90s. This investigation continued and police were looking at involvement of other potential suspects, such as serial killer Robert Joseph Silveria Jr., who was briefly considered a suspect in 96. He was known as the boxcar killer. Uh, he rode the railroad for over 15 years, basically killing fellow freight train riders throughout the U.S. He would eventually confess to murdering a shit ton of people. Yeah. I think it was like 28 or something like that. Wow. However, he was ruled out because there was little evidence linking him to the crime, which people believed was perpetrated by multiple people. And Silveria was known to be a lone killer. So eventually... And sadly, the case went cold. So after years with the case being cold, um, this is where a man named Greg Hag Hagwood, Hagwood, I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, Hagwood comes into play. Greg Hag Hagwood, I'm just going to call him Greg. We're just going to call him Greg. That sounds great. Yeah. He was 16 at the time of the murders. He actually worked with Dana and Johnny on a painting crew, and his mother was Tina's teacher. In 2010, he was elected sheriff. So, of course, with having close personal ties to this case, and, you know, 2010, this is so 30 years later. Yeah. He wanted to, he was hoping to bring the Over investigation yeah. back to the front line, basically. Yeah. And uh, so by June of 2013, he had reopened the investigation, bringing in retired investigator Mike Gamberg. 
Now, Mike Gamberg also had a personal interest in this case because he was a he was a part of the the sheriff's department at this time, but he also he taught martial arts in which Johnny and Dana were students of his at one point. And he even stated that Dana had visited him, visited him at his home the day before he died. Like I said, Gamberg had previously been a deputy with the Plumas County Sheriff's Office prior to the murders, but apparently he was fired, but then he got reinstated. However, the sheriff at the time had kept him out of the investigation, and even he said that even his leads in the case were ignored. As he said that he knew, so, you know, many of the residents and had a good understanding experience and experience of homicide investigations and knew some of the victims. And he really believed his input would, you know, yeah. would help and that it should have been taken seriously. Uh, Gamberg had his own suspicions about what happened in that cabin. Uh, he obviously accepted the job of assisting in, you know, heating this cold case back up and began following the evidence and leads that still existed. Uh, he began going through the boxes of evidence and apparently it was all in like disarray. So this case basically just sat there and yeah. nobody had touched it in a while. Like I think he even said like, in one of the articles I read, I think it was People Magazine, talked about how, like, the boxes just looked like they had been kicked aside. And, wow. you know. And this is, like, 30 years later. Literally collecting dust. Yes. Um, with, and with the original case history log gone, it was difficult to know who did what on what date. Uh, he, You know, he stated he, you know, he believes he knows what happened to it, but it, I cannot speak tonight. <laughs> But it had not been recovered. Much of the physical evidence that was taken from the cabin uh, was still in storage, including the living room carpet, wallboard, and other items marked with blood, along with other potential evidence. Other remaining evidence, much of it was disorganized, and some kept in storage. Some of the evidence that was kept in storage had been contaminated. Apparently, some of the evidence was placed in a freezer to preserve it, but the freezer got turned off. <laughs> he said, quote, this case is screwed up as a soup sandwich. It's not about what was done, but what was not done, end quote. He also, you know, stated that much of the available evidence in 1982 was never followed up on. He sorted through and found one bag of evidence that was never even opened. Uh, the items were never entered into evidence, which is a crucial part right. in the cha chain of evidence necessary in a crime investigation. So they've reopened this case. They've got, you know, person, they knew these people. So they really, they had like personal ties to them. Yeah. And they're really, they're really advocating for exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, everybody should have. Right. <laughs> In, on March the 24th, 2016, a hammer was discovered in a pond near the Ketty Resort 
that matched the description of the hammer Marty Smart claimed to had been lost, stolen, went missing, whatever. It had Mike Gamberg had recovered it, who said another man had happened upon it when the pond was dry and left it there until he summoned the police. Sheriff Hagwood commented, commented on the find, telling the press, quote, the location it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally accidentally misplaced, end quote. I mean, in a pond. Yeah. Obviously. Exactly. So it didn't just, it didn't just like. It doesn't grow- just say, oh yeah, I'm going to go jump I'm going to go pond. swim. <laughs> yeah. That's not how that works. So. Obviously, you know. I'm trying to look up what a claw hammer is because I don't know that I know exactly what that is. I have a, a almost description. Okay, so it's just like a regular. Yeah, hammer. it's it's a regular hammer. Okay. It's got well, the when you said claw hammer, I'm thinking like I don't know. It's got claws. It's not a back scratcher. <laughs> Jesus, I'm just. <laughs> Making sure, because I mean, I don't know. I've just, you know, we country, we just call everything a hammer. I don't know, you know. Okay, claw hammer is just a regular hammer. That makes sense. Okay, and it's got the little <laughs> screw thing on the other end, you know, where you can pop out screws or nails. Yeah, um, that's the claws. Yeah, hence claws. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I just I needed clarification. That's all. <laughs> it's been a night. So. Their two main suspects were Marty Smart and his friend Bo, John yeah. Debbie. You know, they had both moved away almost immediately after the murders. Uh, Bo, you know, he left two days and apparently he had moved to Chicago. Sketchy. Don't be so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had moved away to Chicago. Uh, where he had known he apparently he had known connections with organized crime and was involved in scamming the police officers out of money. He was actually about to, about to be sentenced to jail for it when he died in 1988. Marty had also moved away to Klamath, California and later to Oregon. He eventually died of cancer in so i'm a little i think it's one report i I saw said 2000 another one said 2008 that's a big difference that is a big difference either way he did yeah he died before this well before this investigation even popped back open so you know they discovered the hammer in 2016 that same year either that same year anyways at some point, the Plumas County Sheriff's Office released details of Marty Smart and Bo's interviews, which were made public for the first time. Uh, obviously, Plumas County authorities and residents were outraged over how many inconsistencies and outright lies were in their statements made to the DOG, 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 DOJ <laughs> investigation. I'm sorry, I'm trying. <sighs> You're doing uh, fabulous. Thanks. <laughs> Number one, you the real MVP. Hashtag vibing and surviving. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do here. <laughs> um, the 
DOJ. Yes. Made to the DOJ investigators. I promise, guys, I'll I'll be better eventually. Um, Plumas County Sheriff Doug Thomas later admitted that Marty Smart had made many inconsistent remarks, which he made divert made to divert suspicion away from him, but stressed he had personally interviewed Smart and that he had passed a polygraph examination. This was obviously a big issue (laughs) and investigators were accused of making many blunders with their interviews and failed to corroborate statements made by smart and Bo, which those statements later turned out to be untrue. So basically these guys lied, but nobody, nobody even checked. Yeah. Nobody checked it. Nobody checked it. Nobody even. Wow. But yet we're going to move two days after this. happened. Yeah nobody's gonna pay attention right um one example being that Bo told the agents he had worked as a police officer for 18 years in chicago but retired after he was shot in the line of duty however you know if this could have easily been exposed and checked by cross-checking Bo's date of birth He also told investigators that Marilyn was his niece, which was also untrue, and that he lived in Ketty two weeks longer than he did. He also said Marilyn was asleep when he and Marty returned home from the bar in the early morning hours, which contradicted what she said. He also claimed he had never met Sue Sharp. However, in earlier testimonies, they said that, you know, when they went to go back to the bar, they had asked sue if she wanted to join them that evening which she didn't she stayed home with kids uh gamberg reported that after marty's death that apparently at some point he confessed to the murders during a session with his therapist at the va hospital in reno so yeah so apparently it was this was done anonymously because of comp you know yeah HIPAA. yeah you know he was he was on ours um anyways apparently it was during his seventh appointment in may of 1981 when he allegedly admitted this um he said he admitted or apparently he admitted to killing sue sharp because she had interfered in his relationship with marilyn when asked about tina he said she was taken because she could identify him as the culprit. Um, he was asked why the young girl didn't run away. And Marty indicated without. Basically said he incapacitated her. Uh, apparently he told this counselor he had to kill Tina because she saw the whole thing. And he quote, I couldn't have a witness. He also claimed in this confession that. Quote, I killed the woman and her daughter, but I didn't have anything to do with the boys. He didn't mention who murdered John and Dana, but said that they were, quote, collateral damage because they were present at the time. The counselor apparently advised Smart to turn himself in, but told investigators his patient had merely smiled at the suggestion. Oh. Yeah. This guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Gamberg had said that in an earlier session with the counselor, 
Smart said he had become so angry that they were unable to achieve a worthwhile dialogue, but the counselor couldn't remember the name of the woman Smart was angry with. But Gamberg believed it was Sue Sharp. Marty stated that he had beaten, this is still the same confession, with the counselor during these sessions at some point. Um, He stated that he had beaten the polygraph easily and his friendship with the Plumas County Sheriff at the time ensured he'd face no further questioning regarding the murders. Wow. He continued to tell the counselor, quote, I beat it. Those things are easy to beat. I was lying and they let me go, end quote. So is he diagnosed as a narcissist? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, he apparently he did beat it. I, I guess he beat it. I don't yeah. know. So Gamberg was also informed by the counselor that he had alerted DOJ investigators at the time, but was surprised when it didn't lead to an arrest. He said he called the DOJ to speak with them and asked the lead invest and asked to speak with the lead investigators working the Ketty case. He told them of the confession and was told they would meet with him. Gamberg said that although the agents did meet with the counselor, they dismissed his allegations as quote hearsay. So the friendship between Martin and the sheriff at the time would be revealed to be ugh, would be revealed to be more than just a casual acquaintance. Smart had allegedly told his counselor that the sheriff had once lived in cabin 28 prior to the Sharps arrival in Caddy. The distance between cabin 28 and cabin 26 was just a short walk. So they knew each other apparently. Smart further added that the sheriff had allowed him to live in cabin 28 with him for a time when he was having marital problems with Marilyn. When asked if he knew Marty Smart, the sheriff replied that they were great pals and Marty spent many hours with him while on patrol. The sheriff even said that Marty allegedly came to him once for marriage counseling, but he said he pointed out he hardly was the right person to give advice, giving that he was recently divorced, basically. Another thing important to note was that one of the pieces of evidence that was, you know, vital and found in the envelope that was never opened, it contained the tape recording of the anonymous telephone call to the Butte County dispatch that led to the identification of Tina Sharp. So it disappeared off police records. This evidence envelope was never opened, but going through the evidence, they found it. And it was that tape recording on this tape recording. It said that the anonymous caller had said he was watching the news about the discovery at Feather Falls down highway 70 from Ketty. He said, quote, And I was wondering if they thought of the murder up in Ketty in Plumas County a couple of years ago where a 12-year-old girl was never found, end quote. So now this brings us to 2018. We're all the way up to 2018. I know I'm kind of going all over the place again. I'm tired. (laughs) Are you following me? I got you. I got you. (laughs) Okay. This is two years after opening the case. 
Because mm. I started in 2016. Five, five years. So five. they opened it in 2013. 2016 yeah. was when the hammer was found in the pond. That's pod. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm following. Okay. So in 2000, April 2018, everything's happening in April. Um, That's when I was born. Aries. That explains so much. Yeah. It does. <laughs> so in April 2018, Mike Gamberg made another announcement about new evidence found in the case. He said that DNA taken from a strip of white medical tape, which was consistent that you consistent with the tape used to bind the victim's hands and ankles and to cover the mouth of one of the victims had provided significant leads. A segment of the tape found near the body of Sue Sharp was found to contain identifiable DNA. And he further added that the DNA matches or was consistent with a known living suspect. According to Gamberg, he said he had been in possession of the DNA for several, several years, but it wasn't until recently that he obtained much needed samples and found the match. Up until now, the investigation had been stifled due to a lack of identifiable fingerprints or DNA left at the scene by the perpetrators. He said that those who were inside cabin 28 on the night or early morning hours of April 11th, April 12th were somewhat prepared. Basically it is suspected that someone brought a hammer to the scene. The one recovered from a near the pond in 2016 they're obviously not going to get anything off that hammer because it's yeah. been in the water for years. Yeah. It is also believed that the medical tape that was used to bind them was also brought. And there is some evidence that a 880 BB pellet rifle was used as, as well as part of blunt force trauma and whatnot. Yeah. Both Gamberg and Hagwood believe that there is a possibility as many as six people involved in one capacity or another, whether it be they were directly involved or know something about it. Because of the lack of fingerprints really at the scene, Gamberg said that most of the suspects probably wore gloves um, and that during the frenzied attack, Sue Sharp, her son John, and Dana Wingate were bludgeoned and stabbed to death. However, none of the suspects were injured or left their own blood at the scene. According to Gamberg, every bit of evidence that can still be recovered is important to the case. At this point, they're continuing to search for leads. Later on, he reflected, you know, how this crime affected the community. He said that life changed dramatically in 1981 for this whole community, meaning not just Ketty. Quote, everybody was suspicious of everybody and afraid of everybody else. He continued to say it haunted people and there were few reassurances from the sheriff's office that they were doing everything possible to catch the killers, end quote. He also, Gamberg also recalled his time as a deputy and how his young sons began locking the doors at their house at night uh, before the murders. You know, a small town, they never really yeah. felt the need to do that. But after this, there was very little trust or confidence in the sheriff's department before the murders and in many ways less trust following the murders and nobody felt safe. So 
I couldn't find any more recent updates after the 2018 announcement, but from my very basic understanding, you know, they found that DNA on the medical tape that they believe matches a known living suspect at that time. I'm assuming that they are still investigating. I mean, this was five years ago. Yeah. I couldn't find any more updates, but I get, I'm assuming that they were still investigating to basically try to solidify their case because there is such little evidence. And with what they're thinking happened, they want to make sure, you know, it's a home run. So with that being said, that's really where the case ends. Unfortunately, although technically unsolved um in her book sheila's book she reflects on you know her brother and her mother and even the friend and of course her sister and even her friend she said quote when i think of my brother johnny i try to think of the protective and precarious rascal that he was i try to remember his smile and how much i knew he loved us end quote when she spoke about Dana said that, you know, talk about how it was his, her brother's best friend and that he was, he was really quiet. Um, and she didn't really know him that well, but she did remember thinking he was super cute and that her sister Tina was quite smitten with him. She, you know, she reflected, of course, like I said earlier, you know, about her, her loving, mother and how she was you know a very supportive and just wonderful mom and then of course tina how much she loved tina that was her only sister and you know she had held out hope for so many years that tina would be found and you know how it just devastated her when you know they they found her remains so you know this has been going on for 40 years. She wrote this book. It's called how to survive your visit to earth. It's really a, it was written as a self health book basically where she recounts a lot of the trauma. And of course this situation, just how to deal with it. It's a really, really good book. I mean, yes, she does recount all of this and you know, that one chapter titled monster, but you can really see how she's processed this and how she's turned it into something good. Yeah. She's ever come in, obviously. Yes. Hopefully there will be some kind of update in the near future, or if anybody out there knows anything, please contact the Plumas County Sheriff's department so that we can get this poor woman and, you know, justice, justice, And not only that, but, you know, her brothers, too, her young brothers, one of them was only five at the time. Yeah. And and Dana's family. Yeah. Because it's just a really sad case all around. And given if everything that has been stated by those investigators is true, like this case was just mishandled. And unfortunately, since 
it's still technically an open case. I don't have access to the case file itself. So, yeah. So that is the end of part two. My question is, what if the murderers have already died? Well, the two main suspects have. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Yeah, oh, you're talking about the known living suspect at the time? Yeah, my thoughts are, and I'm just, you know, not accusing anyone. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um. So if Marty's wife is leaving him, uh-huh. okay. So they're all good friends. Everybody's good friends in this little cabin resort mm-hmm. area. Okay, they're all talking. Um, Marty's done moved in with the sheriff. Well, he stayed with them at some point when they were like, I guess, fighting or having marital discord. Yeah. Well, if he was an abusive man, mm-hmm. our sweet mama left a whole relationship with a monster Mm -hmm. so maybe they're kind of talking and she's kind of giving her the support well and that's what for herself and that's what um i'm glad you brought that up marty doesn't like that (laughs) exactly sheila stated that she believed her mom was really counseling marilyn yeah. And in, in this and you know what to do because she just like you said she just left an abusive relationship herself. Yeah. And you know that was the kind of initial thought from these other investigators that opened it that or even in this confession that he gave to his therapist that he didn't like that Sue was interfering with the relationship. Yeah. And so maybe he initially just went after Sue and then the boys woke up. Well, I think if that is the case, I think he did, you know, he did, they, that, whatever, went after Sue and then the boys arrived home. Because remember, they were at a party. Yeah. And, you know, they came home and walked into this. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tina. Tina woke up and saw, unfortunately, collateral damage, basically. Yeah. I hate saying that, but. That's what he said. Quote unquote. Yeah. You're making really good points. And it's that's and, just my thoughts on it. Well, I, you know, that's that's pretty much the line of belief that Sheila believes and these other investigators that reopened it. So I mean, you're thinking like them. But it's just a really it is really sad. It and is a really sad case. Maybe some more evidence or maybe some more people can come forward. Um You know, I would hope so. It's been 40 years. Yeah. I mean. It would nice to get. It would be nice. Jeez. I can't even talk either. <laughs> I was just going to say it would be nice to give the family closure. Right. 40 years is a long time. Yeah. So they can officially close the case and know for sure that the these monsters are not out there anymore. And can we not put this evidence i mean if it's been linked to somebody who i know you know that's the thing that is the thing i searched and searched and searched for any type of update after that announcement there's nothing so i don't i don't know like no names which i understand not naming until you're like sure for sure for sure yeah but like but why announce that you on the tape yeah you know what I mean? So, 
yeah, and I mean, to be like, you know, to be quite fair, crime scene, crime scene collection techniques and stuff like that weren't the same back in early 98, 1980s True. as they are now. So True. maybe that's why, maybe that's one of the things that they're trying to do is trying to create something concrete because a lot of this evidence was not stored properly or it had been messed with or tampered with. So they're afraid. Maybe that evidence is linked to the wrong person. Well, maybe not that, but like you, okay. So this evidence has been tampered with. Okay. It matches Joe Schmo over here. You take that to a court of law. Any green attorney could easily refute that yeah. because it wasn't stored properly. Boom. Case dismissed. And then you can't go for double jeopardy if you find something else. Right. So I understand, but it still sucks because you're like, oh, they found DNA evidence. Yes. But nothing else. Yeah. So I I understand why They're they haven't made an arrest. More reserved. Right. Especially yeah. with the condition of the evidence, basically. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't have a law degree, but all I gotta do is walk into court and be like, mm, this evidence wasn't stored properly. It's Right. It's it's inadmissible. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. I mean, that's very possible. Yeah. So Good maybe point. they're just looking for that other smoking gun that can't be refuted or thrown out of court. That makes sense. Yeah. I like it. So thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so step down off the soapbox. <laughs> with that being said, thanks again, guys, for joining us for part two. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, email us case suggestions at murdersnightout at gmail.com. You like the show, got some feedback, rate us, give us a five-star review. At least, you know what? At least four and a half stars. Come on. I'm the, you know, it's not asking for a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, we do sing to you. I mean, there's that. I there, mean, it's exa- not, it's not don't great rate, Don't rate it. Don't rate us on that part. It's not great singing, <laughs> but it is entertaining. <laughs> Uh, you know, you want to support the show, hit that little link in the show notes and it'll take you, take you to our homepage and you can hit support the show and we'll give you a shout out in return. I don't know if that means anything to you, but Hey, just to show our love and support, you know, cause any, you know, it's a great way to support the show and a great way to, you know, help us keep this going. If you enjoy the show. Um, but yeah. Like us, rate us, follow us. That way you never miss an episode if I can get on a regular fucking schedule. We're working on that. (laughs) Actively working on that. Yeah. And uh, thanks again, guys, for hanging out with us. And hopefully you enjoyed it. And yeah. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Good night. Good night.